Welcome to the Investing in Oil and Gas.com podcast, where Mike brings you in the game and on the drilling rig with real life oil well drilling experiences, 3D seismic shooting, geology, engineering, investment terms, strategy, and more. Your host brings over 20 years of experience with hundreds of oil and gas wells and companies including ExxonMobil, Shell, and BP. Degreed in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M and later receiving a professional engineering license, today, Mike is the president of an oil company that explores for oil using its own 3D seismic equipment and then drills oil wells on the prospects that they find on seismic. Mike wrote the book, Investing in Oil and Gas, selling thousands of copies in print, digital, and audiobooks. You'll find it on Amazon. And now, Mike May. All right. Hello again. This is Mike, and uh, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Had a great week. I got a well staked in the field. So that's a great accomplishment and a great feeling. It's, it's just exciting, believe it or not, to go out there and have the surveyor place a stake in the ground and, and see the spot where you're actually going to drill a well. In our case, it was just a beautiful day, springtime. It was in a wide open field. So we had this stake, and then you could just see for miles in all directions. Uh, the wheat was just a real pretty green, and the sky was blue, and the weather was perfect, and the temperature was great, and it was just, it was just a perfect day and, and lots of fun. So we got the well staked. So hopefully we'll be drilling it here in the next 60 days or so, and I'm going to keep you updated here week by week as to what's happening. In addition to staking the well, the surveyor also provides a plat, and I've got it in front of me here, and I just thought I'd describe it for you. So a plat is just a, a one-page document. Uh, that has a picture of the land. You can see the various tracts of land that are owned in the area. We can see the boundaries of our lease and, and obviously the boundaries of the neighbors that, that adjoin us. It also very importantly shows the well location within our lease. The well is just a tiny little circle and there's dimensions that show the distances from that well to the nearest lease lines and to the nearest survey lines. We're in Texas here, so we don't have township and range. We have surveys. When I look at the well, I see it spotted, you know, within a, roughly a rectangular lease shape. And down in the uh, lower right, I can see the dimensions. It's so many feet from the north line and so many feet from the west line of the survey. And also so many feet from the north line and so many feet from the west line of our oil and gas lease. It also shows the ground elevation. Uh, in feet. That's important once we get into doing logging and so forth. When we're comparing one well to the next, logs always reference usually the Kelly bushing height, and that's a certain known distance above the ground level. But if you want to compare the heights that you penetrate various formations at in various different wells, you need to compare apples to apples. So the uh, depth on the log needs to be adjusted for the ground elevation where you're logging. So if you're in a much higher ground elevation, a flat formation will appear to be much deeper uh, if you drill a well from a high ground, ele um, you know, high ground elevation than if you do from, say, the bottom of a, of, a, of a river bank or something where the elevation is low, then you're going to drill into that formation much sooner. So we always need to correct for ground elevation. And our surveyor has that here. And our surveyor is a licensed or registered surveyor, you know, licensed by the state of Texas. And this plat, also there's some other nearby wells in the area, 
And so one of the things that the Texas Railroad Commission takes into account when they uh, review a permit to drill a well, well, I should have said that first, we're going to, now that we've staked the well and obtained a plat, our next step is to uh, seek a drilling permit. So we're going to fill out what's called a W-1, or it's an application for a drilling permit. Of course, we're just going to put our name and address and phone number and, and fill in the form that shows where we want to drill a well and how deep we want to drill the well. And then we'll also attach this plat. You know, we have to be a certain minimum distance from our lease lines. And then also we have to be a certain minimum distance from any nearby wells. And so both of those things are shown on this plat. And since it's done by a third-party registered surveyor, then they can trust that it's accurate. So that's the plat. It also shows which direction is north, which in this case is just straight up on the page. And I've got a scale on top that shows roughly one inch is 1,000 feet, two inches is 2,000 feet. And then they broke it into smaller pieces so you can see how much would be 200 feet and so forth. And I received this in both PDF format and on paper. So it's easy to share with anyone I need to. For my whole life, I've always seen plats in, done in black and white. But uh, with modern technology, I was in the surveyor's office. And of course, he gave me a normal black and white plat. I asked him, hey, can we get the satellite image, you know, of the ground uh, superimposed on this or underneath it, you know, have this superimposed on a satellite map? And yeah, sure, that was no problem. Now I have a normal black and white map that just has black and white lines on it. But I also have a color version with the same plat, you know, superimposed on a satellite image, uh, which, you know, which you would get with one of the well-known mapping programs. Okay, so that's the plat. Lots of fun there. So we got the well staked, we got the plat, and our next step is to apply for a drilling permit. And you'll probably be hearing about that in a, in a later episode. And then today I spent time working on the drilling prognosis. The drilling prognosis is a written document that describes all the steps we're going to do in the field. So this is where we write down every little thing we're going to do. You know, we're going to screw this three inch pipe into this three inch fitting. And this is the model number of the pipe and this is the model number of the fitting. And this is the supplier where we're going to purchase this fitting. Let's see. So and the idea is to write everything out in detail so that you could give this form as a, as a set of instructions to a person that you might hire that would execute the job in the field. And so it's just a step-by-step -step listing of everything you need to do and all the information they need, you know, the specifics of all the parts and the tools and exactly what kind of, maybe what kind of mud we're going to use and how much, when we're going to deliver things to the location. It's also a little bit of a flow chart because there's some decisions that have to be made where we make a decision that says, if you decide this way, go down to this step. And if you decide that way, go down to this other step. And we sort of number all the, the steps in here. I'll just kind of take you through it briefly here. Drilling prognosis and at the top, and then I have the well name and the county and then the date. Of course, so it shows which version of the document it is. And then I show the lease that we're working on. So it says lease, and then I show the volume and page and the county where we're working. And then I show the seismic, which is, you know, the seismic date, you know, that it was done. And then I show the drilling location and its X and Y coordinates, which, by the way, are also shown on the plat. I didn't mention that earlier. And the ground elevation. Then I just have some contact names and telephone numbers, maybe emails for the landowner, the sheriff. Uh, the nearest hospital or EMT, if you know, in case of an emergency, just and then uh, the railroad commission's 24-hour number. 
Whenever we run uh, cement, whether we're cementing casing or in the un unfortunate event, if we are plugging the well, uh, anytime we're doing something with cementing, the first thing we have to do is call the Texas Railroad Commission and get their instructions on what to do, um, where they want us to cement and how high they want us to bring the cement behind the casing and all of that. So we'll, we're going to have a few phone calls to the Railroad Commission, inevitably. And then I have all of the vendors. I have the surveyor, the person that's going to build the location, you know, with the bulldozer and so forth. They're going to clear any land that's necessary. In this case, it's a wheat field, so there's nothing to clear. But they'll also build up the, uh, the reserve pits and so forth. Then there's the drilling contractor, a casing supplier. There's float equipment that we will have on the casing when we cement it. There's a surface cementing contractor. That's the cementing contractor for the surface casing. There's the wellhead supplier for all the wellhead equipment. Also the person that's going to supply the casing itself or the long string. And this particular well is about 5,000 feet deep. And we're going to be running five and a half inch OD casing. That means the outside diameter of the casing is five and a half inches. And so we'll have a supplier for the casing. And then, of course, we're going to cement it. Of course, we'll contact the Railroad Commission before we do that. And then we'll cement the casing. And so there's a contractor that will pump the cement around the outside of the casing. Before that, we're going to have to log the well. So there's an open hole logging provider. We might run a drill stem test under certain circumstances in certain formations. We'll talk more about that later. But there's a, there's a service provider for drill stem tests. So they're also listed here. There's a cased hole wireline provider. When we get to the point where we want to perforate the casing and uh, punch holes in the casing and produce oil and gas from the formation into the inside of the well bore, we're going to have to perforate it. So there's someone that will do that. And then there's the mud engineer or drilling fluid engineer. In the oil and gas business, the drilling fluid is often called mud. And uh, you'll have a supplier for those materials that are used to make up the mud as well as a, an engineer that will monitor your mud properties and uh, make recommendations from day to day uh, as to how to adjust your mud properties for optimum performance. Then there's a mud logger, totally different. A mud logger is a person that takes the cuttings that come up out of the well. So when you drill a well, what are you doing? You're removing rock in the, in the shape of a cylinder, right? A, a well is sort of a hole or a cylindrical hole in the ground. And in order to uh, make that hole, you have cuttings come out of the ground. Just like when you drill a hole through a, a piece of wood, there's a little bit of sawdust and some wood shavings that are going to come out of it. And so the same thing is true when you drill a well. Uh, but when we drill those rocks, um, we're very interested in them when they get to the surface. So we, we take them out and we looked at them often under a microscope or a fluoroscope. And from that, we can see if it contains oil and gas. Uh, oil fluoresces various things, minerals even, fluoresce under a black light. We actually take some of these rock cuttings, put them under a black light, and the, the unit is called a fluoroscope. That's just a black light. And oil will fluoresce, you know, a kind of a bright fluorescent yellow color, and uh, water will not. So whenever we put these cuttings under a fluoroscope and we see uh, bright yellow, uh, then we're quite happy because we know we've, we've got a oil-saturated rock and we have high odds of success with our well. Then there's the bit suppliers. You may, depending on your agreement with the drilling contractor, we might have to buy bits or the drilling contractor might provide them gratis. Then we have a welder for a few steps in there. We might have a forklift supplier for when we're unloading tubulars, casing and tubing and sucker rods off of a flatbed truck. So we might have a forklift out there. 
electrical contractor, you know, the uh, pump jack or pumping unit, the pumping horse, if you will, the thing that goes up and down that probably everyone has seen lots and lots of. Those are best powered by electricity. They can also be powered by propane or they can also be powered by gas, believe it or not, natural gas that comes up and trained in the oil. If there's enough of it, you can actually use that as fuel. But I would say the vast majority of pumping units in Texas are powered by electricity. Good old electricity. And so we have an electrical contractor here who will run a few poles from the nearest electric line over to our location and then have a transformer and then uh, and then it will go through an electric panel and then out of the electric panel and over to the pump jack. And of course, we'll have an electric meter usually right there at the bottom of the drop. And that's where we'll meter the electricity and we'll pay our bill every month for our electricity. Then someone's going to provide the tanks and the separator. So in this case, we'll probably have two oil tanks and one water tank. So the two oil tanks are made out of steel, and the water tank will be made out of fiberglass. And then we'll also have a separator. And in this area of, of, of Texas, a separator is sufficient to separate the oil and water. In some areas, people use a gun barrel, which is just a very tall tank, and you put your produced fluid in there, which contains both oil and gas. And then they kind of separate due to gravity. The oil moves to the top and the water moves to the bottom because the oil is a lower density than the water. But in our case, the production rates are sufficient that a, a separator will, will do the job. And the separator is a nice thing. It's maybe 30 inches in diameter and perhaps 10 or 12 feet long. And uh, it's easy to move around, you know, put it on a truck and move it from location to location. Certainly easier than moving around a big uh, gun barrel. So it's a nice little uh, convenient unit. So that we'll take advantage of that. So we'll have a provider for two tanks, two steel tanks for oil, one fiberglass tank for water, and then a separator. And then we'll have a roustabout crew. So when it comes time to actually set the pump jack on location and set the tanks, then we need a crew to finish the job, if you will, you know, to do the plumbing of the piping that, that, that uh, goes from the pumping unit over to the tanks. And so that'll be uh, the finishing touches, if you will, will be done by a roustabout crew. We'll need a workover rig at one point to run the tubing, if, if no other reason. The drilling rig will drill the well and run the casing and leave a wellhead on the surface with no tubing. So there'll just be just five and a half inch casing and no tubing. After that, when the drilling rig leaves and perhaps a couple of weeks later, we'll get a workover rig to come out and run tubing in the well, and they'll secure it at the bottom with what's called a, a tubing anchor catcher, TAC, and that will secure the bottom, and then we'll pull up, pull, pull, pull up on the tubing and put it in tension, and then we'll set it in slips at the wellhead. So by having the uh, tubing in tension, it'll make it straight instead of squiggly like spaghetti. And uh, we want it to be straight because we're going to have sucker rods moving up and down inside of it. And uh, we don't want it to, the sucker rods to be trying to move up and down a, a curly, squiggly shaped uh, tubing string. So that's it for vendors for now. I'm going to kind of walk you through some of the other things. We are going to uh, get our makeup water from one of the cattle tanks. And one thing we'll do is check the chlorides in the water to make sure that, that they're not especially high. And they probably aren't. But uh, if you have chlorides in the water, then when you make up your cement later on, the cement can set very fast. So I doubt there's any problems. Just a one in a million chance there's a problem. But we'll, we'll check the chlorides in our water before we get going. Okay, then the next step is move in and rig up the drilling rig. We want to make sure we have a drilling rig that's capable of drilling to this depth. 
rigs come in different sizes and you need to, you need one that's big enough and strong enough to uh, go to your depth and one thing you need is you need to be able to pick up the pipe off bottom after you drill at the bottom you need a hoisting strength that's high enough to to lift all of the pipe back up out of the hole when you're going down it's easy because you have gravity going with you but when it's time to turn around and pull all the drill pipe out of the hole uh, you need a, a drill rig with a hoisting capacity sufficient to do that and you also need a drilling rig with a pump capacity that has enough output pressure and pump rate to pump drilling fluid down the center of drill pipe to the depth that you intend to drill. So those two things go together, the, uh, the hoisting capacity and the pumping capacity. We're going to drill a 12 and a quarter surface hole down to a depth specified by the water board. And then we're going to set 8 and 5 eighths surface casing and attach the wellhead. And then we're going to, of course, wait on cement. And about that time, we'll be moving in the mud logger, you know, who'll be analyzing our mud cuttings. We're also going to agree up front with the drilling contractor when we're going to slow down. Uh, because with the modern uh, PDC bits, they can drill quite fast. So any intervals that we want to slow down and spend some time analyzing and evaluating, uh, we'll, we'll make those determinations up front, you know, before we start drilling. And so they're specified here in the prognosis. And also the intervals where we were especially interested in evaluating the cuttings. As far as I'm concerned, I would like to evaluate cuttings for the entire distance of the well. A lot of people don't do that. They just only evaluate cuttings over the pay zone. But I'm a little more open to saying, hey, we don't really know everything. Let's gather all the cuttings we can. And even if we don't find anything in them, maybe at some time in the future they'll be useful to us. Maybe some zone, you know, that we're not interested in now will become very interested in later. Of course, that's what happened with the shales, right? People used to ignore them for years, and now they're a huge phenomenon all over the world. And so we could have been gathering information as we drilled through those shales all the time. Now we know. Of course, we, maybe there'll be some other mineral, you know, that we'll find in those rocks, some rare earth mineral at some certain depth. And hey, if we find it, maybe we'll end up with some kind of a mining project. You never know what's going to happen. So. The opportunity to gather those rock samples from thousands of feet underground you know, over the entire interval of the well, it only happens once. So we need to take advantage of it. It's free. All you do is you just stand out there at the shell shaker and, and collect the samples. So we're going to do that. So we're going to be a little bit more of a voracious mud cutting sample collector than, than most people. But uh, that's just my own philosophy. Why not do it? We're going to have a plan for evaluating our known pay zone. So how we're going to drill through it, how we're going to evaluate the cuttings, and how we're going to evaluate it later on with wireline. So we have a plan for evaluating our, our primary target. We have a plan for evaluating a couple of secondary targets. And then we have an entire logging program. I actually have a lot of experience doing logging. I was, I was a logging engineer for many years, and I've logged about 750 wells. This is something I know a lot about, so I have a rather extensive, detailed uh, plan for logging. And then if we, you know, if we have a successful well, we're going to run casing. So we have a casing program. In our case, five and a half inch, 15.5 pound per foot J55 casing. We're going to have scratchers and centralizers in certain places along the casing string. And we're going to have certain float equipment on the bottom, which is used when you're cementing the well. So those are things that the cementer will specify that they like. But nonetheless, you need some sort of float equipment on the bottom that aids in the cementing. Finally, we're going to rig down and move out the drilling rig and then move in a week or two later, you know, as soon as we can get them, we'll move in the workover rig. There's several different things we might do with the workover rig, but essentially a workover rig is a rig that can run tubing. 
and sucker rods in and out of the hole. But a workover rig is not strong enough to move drill pipe in and out of the hole. Drill pipe weighs much more per foot than a tubing. So once you've got a well cased and you're just moving tubing or sucker rods in and out of the hole, then that's what you use a workover rig for. At the very least, we will use the workover rig to run tubing in the hole and set it, attach the bottom of the tubing to the inside of the casing using a TAC tubing anchor catcher. And then we'll, like I said earlier, we'll pull up tension on the tubing. And then we'll also bring in the well. You know, at some point there, we're going to make perforations, perforate the sides of the casing and allow oil and gas fluids to flow from the formation outside the casing into the inside of the casing. And then from there, we're going to pump it to the surface. Unless it flows, in our case, some of these might actually flow without us having to pump. If they flow, great, we'll have a flowing oil well. And if we need to pump it, then we'll also run a pump called an insert pump because it's inserted inside the tubing. And we'll run that on the bottom of the sucker rods, which are solid rods, about three quarters of an inch to an inch in diameter. Inside our tubing, our tubing is two and three eighths inches in diameter. And so we'll run that pump down and it'll seat on something called a seat nipple inside the tubing. And then we will leave the uh, top of the rods just sticking out of the well and uh, move the workover rig off of the well and then come back later and set a pump jack, you know, which is a pumping unit or the, the rocking horse uh, that you've seen a million times. We call that a, a pump jack or a pumping unit. And that, the whole purpose of that unit is to move those sucker rods up and down. So when we set that pumping unit, it will be attached to the sucker rods that were left there by the workover rig company. And so once we set that unit and connect the electricity and turn it on, then it'll start moving that those sucker rods up and down. And those sucker rods will actuate that insert pump at the very bottom of the well. If you want to be overly simplistic, you could think of it like a bicycle pump down there. It's just a rod moving up and down that, that pumps the oil. Believe me, it's, it's more interesting and more fun than a bicycle pump, but at least you know on a bicycle pump, it's a rod that moves up and down inside a cylinder and, and moves a fluid, which is just air. In this case, it's a little more complicated, but the idea is the same. You have a rod moving up and down inside a cylinder, and it pumps the oil. And so it pushes the oil up the inside of the tubing to the surface. And when it gets there, then we have a pipe that diverts it over to the separator where the oil and water are separated into two different streams. And then the uh, water follows uh, one pipe over into a water tank, the fiberglass water tank. And then the other pipe goes to the oil tanks. So we finally have achieved our goal there. We're, we're now we're pumping oil into the oil tanks. And as those fill up, our next step is to call crude oil purchaser. And the crude oil purchaser has trucks that transport oil. And they will actually come out there and pump the oil from the stock tanks into their trucks. And they'll make note of exactly how much they pump into the trucks on something called a run sheet. That's how they keep records. And then they'll drive away and and within a short period of time, we'll, we'll receive a check for the revenue that we, re, you know, for the sale of that oil and gas. So that's what we're trying to do here. Anyway, I'm glad you visited. Uh, ha happy to have you here on the podcast and uh, enjoy talking to you. My website is investinginoilandgas.com. So please check that out, investinginoilandgas.com. And uh, if you're interested and you want to be on an email list, love to have you. you know, love to have you there. If we have something important to say, you'll, you'll probably find a place to sign up for an email list on there. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Visit us at investinginoilandgas.com.